Hi, this is Lewis Black, and uh, you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's Jay Moore! I've always been a bit of a lone wolf. Everything I love is things you do really alone, like wrestling, stand-up comedy, writing. They're all, they're, they're not very social things. You know, wrestling isn't really a team sport, even though it is. You're, you're really on an island out there. Never interviewed Jay before, but uh, I know people who know him, and he was the nicest guy in the whole world. You're going to find out in just a few minutes how nice he was. Had a great chat with him oh, about sports, comedy, and all kinds of other stuff. We have a song of the week coming up from The Killers and a very special guest. You may or may not know who the special guest is. Uh, I will explain when we get to the end of the show. And in the meantime, we have a dumb bit. So we found out, and this isn't new information, but we found out in America that if you criticize anything about this country, you need to leave. You should just go. Unless you're criticizing Social Security or a black president or something like that, then that's fine. But if you, uh, uh, or uh, oddly, a Vietnam War veteran who becomes a senator, you can criticize all those things and you're golden. But if you, uh, you know, if you criticize the way we handle, I don't know, say immigrants or I don't know, the way that sometimes uh, police officers shoot unarmed people, uh, then you are horrible, and you have to just get out, go. So anyway, I still haven't really gotten to the bottom of this, but of course, the, the widely uh, uh, seen story, of course, of uh, President Thinskin uh, tweeting that uh, these four congresswomen, uh, which would be Ale- uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, as she's better known, of New York, Ilan Omar of Minnesota, Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts and Rashida Tlaib of Michigan. Uh, they wish they should go back to where they came from, President said. I couldn't figure out what exactly they said to deserve his, his Twitter wrath, but apparently from what I can figure, it's just collectively things they've said in the past year, I guess. I don't know. Um, but any, they've been very against the uh, the immigration policy. I know that. So maybe that, that's what got it. But anyway, uh, so, uh, so most recently... Uh, when this was was brought up, uh, it, it drew the not did it only draw the ire of President Trump, but President Trump's supporters uh, also greeted the news with with this when he was talking about it at a rally. And that was specifically aimed at Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, who the president said, and I'm sure she didn't say this, or if she did, it wasn't, you know, there was there was more to it, that, that somehow, uh, she said the terrorism, and then this is Trump's word saying what she said, I haven't been able to track this down yet, that the terrorism is a result of our foreign policy uh, in other parts of the world, which is exactly right. I, I, she didn't say we had it coming, you know, the, the, even if our foreign policy is horrible, you, you can't come over here and attack, and attack our citizens and, and do things like that. But she didn't say we had it coming. She just said, look, if you do this, this might happen, which is perfectly logical. But anyway, so again, uh, it, it drew this response after he listed all these things that she uh, said or allegedly said. It drew this response from the crowd. Yeah. 
But then I remember there was another lady who, uh, uh, very close to the president, who uh, really didn't like the way families were being separated uh, along the border when they report to the immigration centers there, uh, down there in, in Texas and Arizona and California and so forth. Uh, in fact, here's a little news clip. And breaking news just moments ago, First Lady Melania Trump weighing in, her spokesperson telling CNN, quote, Mrs. Trump hates to see children separated from their families and hopes both sides of the aisle can finally come together to achieve successful immigration reform. Well, that's that's just terrible news for the First Lady, and we're, we're really going to miss her because, well, <laughs> what, what choice do we have? We have to... Jay Moore is a stand-up comedian, actor, podcaster, sports radio host, gosh, all kinds of things, a TV host. And uh, he was kind enough to spend some time with us one afternoon. Here now is our interview with Jay Moore. Hey, bro, it's Jay. Hey, man, what's up? Living the dream, man. All right, yeah, sounds like it. Uh, yeah, is it, is it pretty hot out there this week? Uh, it's about 79. I'm in the valley, though. I'm driving to, uh, I'm doing a day in this movie. Uh, so I'm driving over to the San Fernando Valley, but I'm in Malibu. It's nice and nice. Yeah. Yesterday was beautiful. Today's a little overcast, but oh, it's all good, man. We were out there, uh, the week before the 4th of July, and it was unseasonably cold. Um, we barely got in the yeah. pool. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was interesting to say the least. And uh, May, uh, gray, June gloom. The June gloom. Uh, what the fuck is happening? So they're yeah. so they're saying on KTLA every morning. We have the June gloom here. And uh, you know what was weird is I didn't realize I hadn't been to Los Angeles in years. Is that how different the weather is? I know the trope is oh the valley is really hot and the the city's cooler because it's by the ocean. But the weather really is different all over the Los Angeles area. It was really strange. It was like super hot out in the Inland yeah. Empire. And yeah, it's, I don't know how you how you plan for stuff like that. But um. Uh, 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 just, just a windbreaker. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so when um, just to refresh my memory, I went, went and looked up some stuff, and I forgot all the stuff that you were in. Uh, it's just crazy. I, I think of you, Saturday Night Live uh, comes to mind immediately, of course, and then uh, the radio stuff, actually, because I used to sub for Rome. Weirdly, that's, that's probably the second thing I think of. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Last Comic Standing, which we uh, always enjoyed, so... Um, Thanks, man. Yeah. I've been around the block a few times, for sure. I got some, uh, you know, for whatever it's worth, I certainly have longevity, and I'm, I'm grateful for that, you know. And, and what do you kind of owe that to? They just have a, a variety of things that you're passionate about that you can work in and a variety of interests? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Uh, yes, because it's, um, it's what's great about show business. You know, you do two weeks on a movie, and then it's over, and then you do stand-up, and then it's over, then you do a commercial, then it's over, then you create a TV show, and it's over, then you do another show, and it's over. It's, it's really, you can do anything you want in show business. So I just decided at an early age, I wanted to sort of check all the boxes. I wanted to write a book. I wanted to write another book. And I just handed in my third book. I, um, you know, I wanted to do a podcast. I wanted to be in movies. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do that. So... It's, um, I don't know why more people don't take that approach, but I'm, 
I'm glad that I did for sure. Yeah. Well, I guess some people just feel, you know, comfortable as they say, staying in their lane because they think they, they find something they're good at and they figure, well, you know, because a lot of times when you do move, it's weird because when some people move from lane to lane, it's fine. When other people do it, it's kind of like, ah, you know, we should, should do that. I remember reading years ago, Alyssa Milano, when she was younger, had a huge singing career in Japan. And she was like, I'll never release those records here. They would kill me. Well, that's fear. You know, that's, yeah. um, I think from doing stand-up, I've learned this a lot. When a joke doesn't go over as well as I think it should, it's usually because I sort of limp it across the finish line. So maybe when people change lanes, they're a little hesitant inside, and there's a vibe that comes from that where, where mm. people sort of follow their lead and their energy about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And well, so all- if, if somebody felt embarrassed about... Like I just handed in a poetry book. I, I don't really... It's critic group because I don't care. It's mine. Yeah. Um, but if I was not sure about it, then I would be susceptible to criticism and you know critics beating it up. But I am sure of it. And I know it's great. And if there's bad reviews, that's cool. I know they're great. Well, and it may sound cocky, but that's, that's how I've always sort of felt. I've always been an eternal optimist. I'm the kid as a little little leaguer. You know, only two of us on the whole team could hit. And it's like, we can win the whole thing. We got two hitters. <laughs> Well, it's also nice too, as as fans, when you find out that you know someone you like in one discipline can do something else and are good at it. That's always kind of a pleasant surprise. So there's you know there's there's that end of it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I don't think I really try anything. Not, nothing's really made me. How do I phrase this best for friends? I've never been passionate about something I wasn't good at simultaneously with the attempt. I've never thought, wow, I'm going to play guitar. It's so great. And then I picked up a guitar and I was terrible. I'm terrible at guitar and I don't really care about learning to play guitar. I stopped playing pool maybe 25 years ago because I never got any better at it. Um, golf, I never got any better at golf. So I'm just like, eh, yeah, I'm not that interested in it. But things where I knew right away like when I tr- it's kind of like doing impressions if I can do it right away then I can do it if I can't do it right away then it's not it's no it's not going to happen uh, actually, so you brought that up because I, I, I'm always I'll come an armchair impressionist. I used to do them, and of course they sound better in my head than they do coming out. So I bet they sound good. Buddy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I used to write for a radio uh, show here in town, uh, and I did an impression of your pal uh, Jim Rome, and uh, which my <laughs> boss loved. And I thought it sounds okay. It, I had the cadence down. I don't think I really had the actual voice, but I kind of do that thing. And I know it was your buddy, but I, he used to do that thing where he would like hit on a joke, and he would just keep repeating it and repeating it and repeating it like several different ways. Very and, disappointing. Yeah, yeah. It's very disappointing. Yeah. No, we're not buddies. Like, we're friendly, I suppose. I haven't seen oh, we, guy in 15 years. Oh, okay. Oh, I used to suffer. I mean, I, I like Rome. I mean, I, but I, I was... Impressions impressions, man. It's fair game. People think when you do an impression of them, you're making fun of them, but I don't think that's the case at all. I mean, you... Certainly, that's one way you can go about it. Yes, yes. Uh, if I was doing my Norm Macdonald impression and he was in the back of the room, 
I wouldn't be embarrassed about doing the impression because I love Norm Macdonald. Yeah, I was just gonna say when, on on my podcast, I would when I do my dumb bit, I uh, used to do back a couple lectures ago. I did a Mitt Romney one, and it was a bit of an edge to it. It was kind of a little mean. But on the other hand, I did an Ira Glass one because I love Ira Glass. He's like a hero of mine, so it was like you know a a, a great honor to do that. So it, it's kind of funny how you can approach them uh, in different ways like that. How do you do Mitt Romney? Uh, how did I do Mitt Romney? I can't remember. Uh, I, well, first of all, I had him like pretend he was calling in. I put it through a filter to kind of mask my voice a little bit, so that helped a lot. And Wait, um, what's the cadence? Uh, I'm trying to I think. Did it's, the tonight show with him, and I was gosh, it's been so really long. Taken by him. He was pretty cool. Yeah, he. I, you know, I, I think he was a nice guy. I just think he was out of touch. And I think I did a, a bit about him. Actually, I had to do a song parody. He did uh, "Always on My Mind," a parody of all by. Uh, Willie Nelson slash uh, Pet Shop Boys, and he was saying something like, uh, "Oh, they're uh, nice, nice fellas, Pet Shop Boys. The kind of boys you like to hold down in a school hall room and and shave their heads, and you know, just doing kind of things like that." I can remember how I did it, but no, I, I get it. Yeah, like when you the very beginning, you nailed it. Yeah. Well, I was. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing I was going to ask you when you do uh, when you approach because I'm always interested how other how different people approach it. I always try to find a word or phrase that the person says and mimic that and then work back. But other people are just. uh, Someone told me I can't remember who it was. They just say hi, I'm, and it just comes to them. And if they you know they can get it in their head, it's just just, how do you approach it? I do the same. Well, usually it's not, if it's an actor, it's a quote from a movie that I love. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like uh, Christopher Walken in True Romance is when I just got sort of consumed Christopher Walken. Like, do you know me? I'm Antichrist. <laughs> I just walk around saying that. Or, uh, <laughs> you know, just, and or like Pacino. Mostly all my impressions now, I've realized, all start with positive affirmation statements. Like, they all say something affirmative. Like uh, Tracy Morgan, yeah. And then Al Pacino, oh yeah. yeah. And then Walken's like, yeah, of course. So they, they all sort of uh, have yeah in common. But I do that. I'll find there's sort of an anchor you can reach for when you sort of start to waver from the impression. There's yeah, a couple yeah. Of phrases that will lock you back in. With Walken, it's for me, it's sure or I know. Ah, uh, like Sean, yeah, yeah, or like a quick yeah. I know, because as long as I make no two syllables, I can kind of lock back in. Yeah. And with Pacino, it's are you going to tell me? <laughs> are you going to tell me? <laughs> wow. And then of course, the crazy is everybody gets pregnant. <laughs> <clears throat> I remember uh, reading an interview with Rick Overton where he said that uh, sometimes people, other impressionists, will kind of crack the code and figure out. But you know, but then I guess you run the risk of doing an impression of someone doing an impression, so you have to go back and listen to the actual person so you don't fall into that trap. Because when I was in junior high and doing the lunch announcements, I fell into this thing of doing them as different celebrities. And of course, it's a 13-year-old kid. They all sound the same. But I would, um, I was me doing impressions of other people doing it. It was me doing Dan Aykroyd doing Jimmy Carter. But uh, it worked. People dug it. <laughs> yeah, you see that a lot, actually. You, know, yeah. you see, like if a guy does a Jack Nicholson impression, even yeah. though that guy's bald, <laughs> mind pulling his hair back yeah. that's what the other guy did right <laughs> to simulate Jack Nicholson going bald and it, they all eventually become impressions of impressions of impressions and coloring outside the lines like Dana Carvey doing George Bush cracked the code but then he just sort of you know 
disintegrated into where we all wanted him to be, and that's the madness of the lunacy. George Bush never said, not again, bitch. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That's these things get assigned, and then of course you have ones where the, the people have passed on, and it, it's more of a, a, a caricature you're doing than uh, than an actual impression. Like John F. Kennedy is probably one that gets done a lot like that. Well, yeah, because nobody nobody can fact check your impression because they're dead. Right. <laughs> so so have at it. Um, so well, growing up in New Jersey, what was what did you like most? I know you were a, a, a sports guy, but were you into entertainment, movies, TV? What was what was your thing? I was into the ocean. I, I spent my summers and like every conceivable free moment in uh, Barnegat Bay. Oh. At my grandfather's house down in Seaside Heights, New Jersey, out on his boat fishing, tying knots and stuff for him, and and uh, that was that's my favorite childhood memory. Like that that was home, and um, played a lot of little league, and then I started wrestling in high school, and that became uh, my thing. I was I've always been a bit of a lone wolf. Everything I love is things you do really alone, like wrestling, stand up comedy, writing. It, they're all they're, they're not very social things you know wrestling isn't really a team sport even though it is but, yeah you know, yeah it's, you're, you're really on an island out there so as a kid i was it was very suburban a lot of little league a lot of football on the street you know you know everybody goes home at dinner at the same time it was pretty ideal really a lot of the woods riding bikes on trails and then um i started stand-up comedy when i was 16 and then by 18, I was driving into the city for spots. I drove to Buffalo, New York when I was 17 for 50 bucks. It was an eight-hour drive, and I was in first period French that next morning, <laughs> having not slept with a $50 bill in my pocket. And I realized the teacher didn't have a $50 bill in her pocket. And that's when I realized, oh, I don't have to worry about college at all. This is great. Wow, that's that's cool. And your your folks let you drive to Buffalo? Or did you not? Did you say, oh, I'm going out? <laughs> oh, it, no, no, there's no stealing cars in my, uh, that would have been bad news. They knew. My, my parents were always, like, really passively supportive, and I mean that in a really good way. They weren't like, go get them, buddy. But they always really calmly took me going into New York City at 17 years old in stride. It wasn't like, you're going where? What? What's happening? They all, you know, I would report back to them, like, how it went, and they found it interesting. And it's just, it just gave me enough room where it kept growing and growing and growing, and I never got discouraged. I don't know, living that close to New York City, I think that'd be less scary than driving all the way across the state to Buffalo. That would be the scarier of it, too. It's pretty crazy. New York City then was not uh, this Disney New York City you see now. There oh, that, was a lot of, uh, that's true. A lot of prostitutes and, you know, like, uh, peep shows and bums walking around, people, you know, defecating in the streets. And you'd have to find a place to park and walk like six blocks to a bar with sailors in it. Huh. And at 17 years old, I wrestled at 100 and, let's see, I wrestled 129 pounds, I was like a string bean. And uh, a toe-head blonde, I just, I just looked like a child. <laughs> and... Uh, but, you know, I, I would have jokes back then. You know, I, I'd go on stage in, like, my wrestling varsity jacket and just make jokes about it. I had to go home and do homework or something. <laughs> and uh, so I always, I always like, actually went up first. I would have to go up first. And the host of, like, open mics, the host would like that because that gave them material. Like, hey, I got to get this guy on stage. He's got, got school in the morning, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, Buffalo wasn't so scary. It was just long. 
Wow. And then uh, New York became home. I lived in New York for about 25 years, 20 years, 20 years. And um, that's where you go on stage every single night at three different places, every single night. If anybody wants to know the secret to life, it's a repetition. That's what Jerry Seinfeld says. They should have a sign in the, uh, the comedy clubs, go up, perform, repeat. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, everywhere. You know, I remember doing stand-up for people in line at restaurants because I couldn't find a place to do stand-up. So I would just go to like a ground round restaurant and people are waiting for the tables and I would do stand-up for the people in line at 16. Wow. How did... Uh, how did, and how did in hindsight, it's in. Insane. Yeah. You know, the audacity to just bug people and start doing crowd work. Some 16-year-old just shows up like a court jester instead of <laughs> pointing out people's parachute pants. <laughs> did you bring a little PA or something, or did you just stand there and do it like... Yeah, you did it. <laughs> and how did the restaurant react to that? Did they like get? Did they give you the boot, or did they say, hey, he's, he's keeping people entertained in the line and keeping them from walking away, walking down to the TGI Fridays? There was, a, there was a ground round restaurant, I remember, that was uh, fine with it. And there was, I forget the name of it, there was another restaurant where the guy, manager came out and said, what are you doing? You got, he, had a, he was a big Italian guy. He came out and was like, well, what are you doing? You got to get out of here. And he like kind of chased me away with like a rolling pin. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, you, you see every reaction when you stand up long enough. If you, just, if you just stay at the table and keep playing your cards, eventually you're going to see every conceivable reaction possible. Well, wow. yeah, and the other thing about New York, as you were saying, is like that's the. It seems that seems to be the place I hear over and over that you know if you you want to if you seriously focus on stand up, that's really the only place you can go because there's so many places to do it. Or if you go to Los Angeles or maybe even Chicago, there's other disciplines you can get mixed up in. Yeah, I, 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 New York is certainly the best. There's other towns when I do stand up on the road a lot, you know, on tour all the time. It's there's real, Denver's got a really good scene. Dallas has a good scene. Um, I, I, I was surprised. There's a lot of good comics uh, floating around out there in these cities, and they, they'll surprise you which ones they are. But And L.A. is really tough. If I started comedy now in Los Angeles, I wouldn't be a comic. It, it, it's hard. First of all, you have to have a car. And if you're starting out doing yep. stand-up comedy, you don't have any money. You have to bring people to the show in order to be let on stage, which I think is criminal. And they're so far apart. You have to drive like 40 minutes to get from one to the other. So if you do two shows in one night, good luck. But I mean, and there's all the comics are here. So there's only so many spots to go around. Whereas New York, it's, uh, there's just a lot of places to do stand up comedy and there's a lot of spots and it's just a well-oiled machine that way. Yeah. And what you're like, you said about those other towns, uh, in between, uh, like here, you know, you've got, it seems there are a lot more guys taking the, the bull by the horns and, you know, starting their own shows at you know, bars and smaller venues and smaller theaters, uh, like that. We're seeing a lot of that here in, uh, Cincinnati. That's a great way to do it. I mean, it, it really is, you know, that's what I was trying to do at 16, but I just had picked a real small venue. <laughs> but, that's guys that do that. I always really respect, and I I think that's great when people have the stones to just go to say, you know, an outdoor marketplace, and there's a little area where they could possibly do a show and just do it and just eat it because it's embarrassing. It's it's really humiliating, embarrassing. It's scary, and if nobody comes, it's all of that is magnified. If a lot of people come, all of that is magnified anyway. Again. It's it's really an exercise in presence. 
It's like being a Buddhist monk and hitting like the deepest level of meditation where you are entirely present. When you're on stage, your mind isn't wandering around. When you're first started doing stand-up comedy, the only thing you can think of is what you're saying exactly next. So to go through all those obstacles to get to that point of misery, I always love when guys do that and girls do that. I think that's really terrific, and I'm, I'm happy to hear that they're doing it in Cincinnati. And is stand-up still your favorite thing? I mean, I reckon it must be. Oh, I am. I am a stand-up. It's like yeah. me saying, like, like what, I don't know what color your hair is, but it's like, you know, is having brown hair your favorite thing? It's like, yeah. what? <laughs> I just am a stand-up. So it, it, it's, I, I, I've been asked that question a lot. What do I like more, acting or acting on TV, acting in movies, but like stand-up comedy? And I always really wrestled with it because I act so much as a stand-up comic, and I realized, oh, I act so much as a stand-up comic. I am a stand-up comic, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a different kind of question now. It's more like, since you're a stand-up comedian, what do you like doing better? And then you have to start with, it's like the Beatles, and then you have to start listing everybody else. Yeah, 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 and exactly. Comedy is like my Beatles. It's like, ooh, Beatles are stones. It's like, well, that's an idiotic thing to even ask me. <laughs> Because it's the Beatles. Like, you go Stone Zeppelin, Stone 2. Does that make sense? I got yeah, yeah. No, no, it makes, so. uh, makes perfect sense. Um, I was talking to Paul Reiser last year, and um, I'm old enough I to remember. Paul. Old enough to Oh, he was fabulous. We, we talked a lot about Stranger. Well, the weird thing about it is, two weird things about that was that um, I'm old enough to remember, even though the first thing I ever saw him in was Diner, I immediately saw him as a stand-up afterwards, and I forever knew him as a stand-up who also acted. But And he was telling me, because, oh, there's people that, just younger than you that are like, oh, he's a comedian, too, because I know him from My Two Dads, and then, of course, um, and then, of course, yeah, the 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 show with Helen Hunt and all that, and it's like, yeah, I know you from like going way back, and then the, people don't, don't remember him from that. And we we spent most of the time talking about uh, actually Stranger Things and the other things he did besides Mad About You. So, <laughs> but, well, he was an alien. I mean, he really got down. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. So, is there anything left that you know the difference? You know the difference between Paul Reiser and Jerry Seinfeld? No. Who are these people? Who are these people? <laughs> Both brilliant, though, right? Um, so, uh, is there anything left that you haven't done that you want to do, having done all this stuff? Is there, or you just want to perfect the things that you're doing? Or what? I just started writing for myself, and just getting that going forward, and that's what has to happen. It's the way the business is now. There's no longer like, this is pilot season, and then we roll into our summertime shows that are late pickups, and then these movies come out at this time, and the really big blockbusters come out on this date, and the movies they don't like come out in like late September. There's no real rhyme or reason to it. So if you really, like those guys and gals that start their own stand-up comedy nights, it's the exact same mindset. You just have to write and produce your own things. And get other people on board and uh, not get too discouraged where you stop making content. So what I need to be doing, what I want to do is what I need to do. And that is keep writing for myself and just be vigilant with that. Cool, man. Well, appreciate taking the time out of your busy schedule. Uh, looking forward to having you here in Cincinnati. I'm not sure how long you'll be in town because sometimes the headliner just comes in just in time to do the headline set and is is back out in a couple hours. But, oh, um, no, they... They panic with me. I was going to go like the day before to do radio. And well, okay. Are you going to go to the show, PJ? 
Yeah, yeah, uh, it's PF, and uh, yeah, um, yeah, I actually work for, I don't know if you know, you might know my boss, Josh Need. he's a stand-up comedian, um, I work for his t-shirt company, and so I'll be there slinging t-shirts, because I'm the events coordinator, and then, um, t-shirts? Uh, jo- we, uh, he has a local t-shirt company, it's called Cincy Shirts, he operates with a uh, designer and a and former stand-up comedian named Darren, and uh, yeah, and then we we have the contract to sell the official Bruhaha shirt, and we also sell shirts from the company of mostly of stuff that's not around anymore, of like old logos, you know, things you remember from growing up, old restaurants and gas stations. Shit, and, man, I'm, I'm gonna bring some of my shirts then. Screw it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Um, but we, if, if you're in town long enough, we'd sure like to get you on the Cincy Shirts podcast. Um, uh, if on the what podcast? The, Cin- what is it called? the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's a podcast we do in the back room of one of the stores. Uh, the two owners, I and me, and I'm the, I produce it. And uh, yeah, you can find if it. I'm, if I can, I really would like to. Are you saying empty shirts? No, it's Cincy Shirts, like Cincinnati. Oh, Cincy Shirts. Yeah, yeah. No, I'd love to. It's just, uh, it's just schedule permitting. Yeah, yeah. I'll, um, I'll just, I'll let did your publicist. Come up on your side. It did. So this is my cell. Just text me closer to the day. Okay. Please. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, like you're not, you're not bothering me. Just it is great. what it is, you know. So right, right. Cause I would like to do it, and like to hang, and I just like hanging out with comics, you know. Great, great. Well, yeah, that. I want that. I want that Mitt Romney impressions. I gotta shine. When, when I <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I'll get that sorted. I'll try to bring out some. I'll bring out my other ones too. Maybe I'll, I'll brush up the Ira Glass one too. I, a funny story, real quick. I had Ira on, um, uh, and bef- before that, I uh, uh, was going to do the impression, and it was going to be like a whole. Honorary, uh, not 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 homage because he's still alive. Whatever you call it, a um, uh, to his show to uh, this American it's Life. Homage, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I remember this thing that Dave Thomas from Second City had said one time. They were doing a, a parody of the Andy Griffith show, and he couldn't do Jim Neighbors, and so he did uh, Fred Travelina doing Jim Neighbors. And so I emailed him and asked him about that and said, "Would you, would you come on my podcast and talk about that?" And he did. Dave Tom, actual Dave Thomas came on and told that story on my podcast. It was so amazing. And uh, so I did that before, and then I did the Hourglass interview, and uh, it, was, it was so fun. And uh, so t- two great guys. And it, I remember that. He did Fred Travelina doing Jim Neighbors. Yeah, yeah. It was, they were, it was supposed to be the Merv Griffith show. So uh, uh, Dave, uh, Rick Moranis is doing the Andy Griffith role, but as Merv, he's doing his Merv Griffin impression, and he's in Mayberry, and everybody's doing all the Mayberry characters, but Dave Thomas couldn't quite nail... Uh, Jim Neighbors, and then, as it were, and then uh, uh, he told me that it was just, uh, came right off the top of Rick's head, he just said, Fred Travelina, and they didn't even write that, it was just a spur-of-the-moment thing, because his impression was so bad of Jim Neighbors, so he said, oh, this is Fred Travelina doing Jim Neighbors, but anyway, and then Ira Glass made me do my Ira Glass, yeah, and then Ira Glass made me do my Ira Glass impression for him, and that was kind of embarrassing, but anyway, um, yeah, I'll text you closer to the date, and uh, we'll... Hey, we'll... Have, have faith in these stories, man. No, no... Uh, oh, I know. Anyway, this is good stuff. Hey, I'm... I'm I, I dig it. I'm a guy in his family room that gets 10,000 listeners, and I'm darn happy to be able to do that and get to talk to cool people like you, so all's good. Yeah, well, I'm talking to a cool person like you, so that, I live both ways, brother. Text that, me, uh... Will do. Closer to the date, and let's make some bread, man. I look uh, forward to meeting you, okay, Cool, Pete? cool, man. Thanks. See you, buddy. All right, Jay. Bye. <laughs> Thanks again to Jay Moore for being on the show. What a super, super nice guy. Hopefully uh, we'll get him on the other podcast I do here in Cincinnati, uh, the Cincy Shirts podcast, and uh, we'll just talk about uh, just growing up in the 70s and 80s, I reckon. 
So anyway, if you anything you need about Jay Moore here, let me see. I assume you can just go to jaymore.com. He's got his just finger in so many pies. He's got a podcast. He's got a radio show. I forget which network is on, but if you just simply Google uh, Jay, yeah, it's jaymore.com. Jay, like you would spell J J A Y and M O H R. Done, and you can find out all the things he's got. Uh, he's got going on. I'm uh, gonna bring us to the song of the week here. Song of the Week is uh, Killers and a Special Guest, who you may think of like PF, that's got to be Johnny Marr, of course. No, it's not. And here's how I stumbled across this. I kind of stumbled across this accidentally. I didn't even realize this was a thing. Shame on me because the Killers are one of my favorite groups. But uh, you remember Tim Slagle was on the show a couple of weeks ago, good friend of the show. We always, um, as again, politically, Tim is completely wrong, <laughs> but a swell guy. And musically, we like a lot of the same stuff. Uh, and we always have uh, lots of, and lately, actually, we've talked more about music than politics. But anyway, I think I sent him a picture from the Vampire Weekend show that my family and I attended. And he sent me something in Facebook Messenger, and it was a clip uh, from the Glasson festival over in England of the Killers joined by Johnny Marr on stage and they do This Charming Man by the Smiths and I was like wow that's that's really cool and I watched it and then it didn't occur to me to watch the whole set of Glastonbury so I was home working one day doing going through emails and stuff I'll, I'll throw on the uh, the uh, Glastonbury uh, concert the uh, the Killers performance and I'm watching it and it's fantastic and then we get to the last six songs. There's two songs that end the regular set, and then there's four songs in the encore. I still, I think, don't think you'll ever find another better six songs in a row. And I know this is a very strong statement, but another better six songs in a row to end a concert, especially at a festival like Glastonbury. But anyway, so they do um, of all the things I've done. Uh, all these things I've done. And then they do Read My Mind. That finishes the regular set. And then there's a pause. And then uh, the music starts up. And uh, two fellows join him on stage, and it's the opening notes of uh, Always On My Mind, and it's Pet Shop Boys. I'm like, what? Wait, Tim, why didn't you tell me this? I mean, I like Johnny Marr just fine. I like the Smiths. But, oh, my God, Pet Shop Boys turn up? Now, you may recall a couple of years ago, uh, they had a, the Pet Shop Boys were honored in Britain at, uh, at the, their, their music awards there. And uh, Lady Gaga and Brandon Flowers joined uh, Pet Shop Boys in this huge medley of their hits. They sang a couple uh, songs with them in within the medley. So anyway, so this isn't like an ast- astonishing thing that happened, like the time the Beach Boys and OMD turned up together on the same stage, but still, I was pretty blown away. So anyway, they go through Always On My Mind, and then they do uh, Human, and then uh, Brandon Flowers says, I'm going to effing double down here on you, and then he brings out Johnny Marr, the other charming man, and then they finish with Mr. Brightside. And um, and by the way, we saw Killers in Cleveland uh, for All-Star Weekend. Did not stay for the All-Star game, but... Um, uh, Fangirl is working at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, as some of you may know. We went up to visit her. They, uh, the Killers did a free concert. 21 Pilots were there the night before. Uh, Fangirl and Nearly Liza went and saw that. And then we all went to see the Killers on Saturday night. Whoa. Really good. Not class and very good, but it was pretty darn good. Uh, they ended the concert. Apparently, the, the, Trump, the drummer, Tony, from the Killers, his father is from suburban Cleveland. And so he's in a full Indians baseball uniform playing the drums the whole time. And they do this thing now where they open Mr. Brightside, usually, and they close with Mr. Brightside. And they did that in Cleveland. And as they're finishing, he's, he's the only one left on stage. They all left the stage, and he's just pounding out the last drum beats, I guess, because his dad is from Cleveland. So that would be a cool thing to do. And as he's doing that, the fireworks start going off in downtown Cleveland. It, it was just fantastic. It was awesome. So anyway, Song of the Week is going to be Human. It is Killer's 
with the Pet Shop Boys. I still can't believe this happened. This is so cool. And I'm going to play a little bit more of this than I'm probably supposed to. Uh, my friend Pat Francis and I reckoned if uh, iTunes can play you a 90-second preview of something, then under fair use, and since we're talking about it critically, it falls under that, uh, I can play 90 seconds. I'm going to play a little closer to two minutes of this just so you get the full effect. I'm not going to play the whole thing for you, but go to YouTube if you want to see the whole thing. In fact, watch the whole set. It is fabulous. So our song of the week is Human. It is the killers at Glastonbury with Pet Shop Boys is crazy. Human, enjoy it. PF Tape Recorder, so long and thanks for listening.